0: good evening and welcome back that was what two weeks before thanksgiving when we was last here studying revelation Uh, the week before thanksgiving my wife and i and mother-in-law went to the beach and had a wonderful time and then of course last thursday was was thanksgiving and i didn't think you would want to listen to revelation bible study at thanksgiving so we just held off for two weeks, and now we are back, and we will start back in chapter 14. But I want to do a couple of little quick things first. Uh, Today's December the 1st, as most of you know, and if you would read a chapter from Luke a day until Christmas Eve, December 24th, you will have read an entire, complete history and, and The scriptures of christ is life starts from his birth and goes to his death and resurrection so if you want to read a story of christ or the scriptures of christ is life start with chapter one of luke read one a day and december the 24th you will have finished that life story if you do not want to read Go out to Trinity word Ministry.com. Trinity Word Ministry is all one word. Trinity word. Ministry.com Look up last year. You'll have to scroll down the list because I don't have it so that you can just search on something. But scroll down the list and you'll find where I've read each chapter of Luke from chapter 1 to chapter 24. And I did that last December. So you're welcome to listen to that as well and if you miss this program or if you would like to go back and review these later once uh, or later on you'd like to review it again you can go to trinity word ministry youtube channel and all of that all of these are on the trinity word ministry youtube channel as well as on trinitywordministry.com the difference is the one on .com is the audio only and the one on the YouTube is the video. So there you have it. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. And We're gonna to try to do chapter 14 and 15 tonight, so it may run just a tad bit long. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity again to come into your house, to worship, to honor and to praise your name. Lord, I ask that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. And Lord, will be ever so careful to praise, to honor, and to magnify your name. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 14 of Revelation. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. And with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Jesus, represented by the Lamb, stands on Mount Zion as well as the 144,000 Jewish people that we had read about in ch- verse 4 of chapter 7, which is seven chapters ago. This is when Christ descends from heaven to set up his millennial reign. And as I said, these these 144,000 there are the 144,000 witnesses. But now, in chapter 7, verse 4, it was... Just a few chapters ago, but it was actually a couple of years ago that that took place compared to this. This is the very end of tribulation, verse 1 is. It's when Christ will actually come back to earth. When the rapture takes place, he does not step foot on earth. This is after the rapture. This is when he comes down to start his millennial reign. Verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters... And as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Again, John describes the voice that he hears as having the power of rushing water, a waterfall, if you will, and rolling thunder. But this time he also hears harps playing, and singing of the harpers are the ones that are playing the harps. And if you've never heard a harp play, it is a beautiful instrument to listen to. I actually had the pleasure of... um, of hearing one one time now, I won't say that it was pleasurable what I was doing. I was actually at an aunt's funeral, but the minister's family, one of the young ladies of his, uh, one of his daughters was actually there playing the harp at the funeral home. It was a, it was a beautiful tribute to my aunt, and they sung as it were a new song, before the throne, and before the four beasts, and the elders. And no man can learn that song but the 140 and 4,000 which were redeemed from the earth. This is the new song that was played and sung for only the redeemed to sing. Those that have went through the tribulation. No angel can sing or learn this song. It is only for the Christians to sing. Is this a song being sung by the 144,000 and any others that survived that that went through the tribulation and has at that time become a Christian. These are they that which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. This could mean physically not married or not having any relations with women, or it could be a spiritual representation. Often in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, being a virgin was spiritual and meant that the individual was pure. In 2 Kings 19 and 21, it says, This is the word that the Lord hath spoken concerning him, the virgin, the daughter of Zion hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. That is talking about the land of Israel. Isaiah 37, verse 22, this is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Again, that is talking about the country of Israel. Wherever Christ the Lamb leads, these will follow, no matter where. These 144,000 are there to do the work of the Lord. The first fruits were given to the Lord in sacrifice. In tithing, shall offer the best to the Lord. The 144,000 and the followers are considered the first fruits of the laborers and those that have gone through the tribulation period. So they are considered the first fruits because they have survived. They have made it to the end. It says, you know, that he who endureth to the end shall be saved. Well, these endured to the end, they are saved. And they are considered the first fruit. Verse 5 of chapter 14 And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. In John 1 and 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold an Israelite, indeed in whom is no guile. Jesus sees Nathanael coming after Philip, his brother, urges him to come to see Jesus. And Christ proclaims there is no guile or fault or blame in him. The 144,000 are also looked on this way. These will apparently be the first to come to Christ, blameless and spotless at his second coming. Now, I'm not going to say that they never sinned. I'm just going to say that they have the blood applied to their lives and they are no longer condemned. They are faultless. They are blameless. They have no guile. There is no ill will in their life and there is no... Um, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, as it were. Verse 6 and verse 7, we're going to put together and study them a little bit together. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the foundations of waters, or the fountains, excuse me, of waters. The eternal gospel is not changed in the entirety of the world. The eternal gospel is that of judgment and redemption, of worship and praise, of lamentations and woes. This eternal gospel is no different than what has been proclaimed throughout history. This angel is given the proclamation to make to all the peoples of the earth, every nation and every language, worship the Lord. Have a reverential fear of God because his judgment on earth has come. He will no longer delay his coming. He will no longer delay his judgment on earth. But we don't like to talk about Christ and his judgment. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God because, well, God is love and he's kind and nice and sweet and wonderful. And he is God is love and sweet and nice and wonderful. But he is also a wrathful God. He is a jealous God, it tells us in the Ten Commandments. For I am a jealous God, have no other gods before me. That was the very first of the Ten Commandments. So we don't we don't like to talk about that aspect of God, but He is very much present in everything He does. Just ask the children of Korah. When they rebelled against Moses, the ground opened up and swallowed them. You could go to hell and ask them right now if they thought God has a, a wrathful side, and they would definitely say, Yes, he does. But you don't want to be on that side of God and you don't have to be on that side of God. You can be on the God is love, God is good side all the time. The wrath of God is for those that are disobedient to him. It is not for his children. Now, he will chastise those he loves. In other words, to put it in mountain language, he's going to spank us. But it is just and right. He never goes overboard. He never, you know, gets carried away. But when he corrects us, it's because he loves us that he's correcting us. A child without discipline is what well, grows up to be a worthless individual, usually. And God doesn't want us to be worthless. He wants us to have standards. He wants us to have discipline. He wants us to be able to function in the world, but separate from the world and I know a lot of people take that scripture and they say be you separate and they want to become an isolist you can't isolate yourself from the world because if you isolate yourself if you become a hermit you cannot witness to the world you have to live in among them but you don't have to participate with them Chapter, or excuse me, verse 8. And there followed another angel. See, there was one angel flying in the midst of the heaven, having everlasting gospel. Here's another angel saying, Babylon has fallen. That great city. Because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, this one gives the people some trouble. This verse gives people some trouble. The second angel appeared in heaven in the vision of John. His words and his message were, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city. However, Babylon the city was destroyed by the Medo-Persian Empire led by King Cyrus the Great in 539 BC, uh, approximately 2,500 years before us. So this is in the past. John's present or our future that the angel is talking about. This Babylon that the angel is talking about is not the ancient Babylonian city. This is a city that represents or is symbolic of what Babylon stood for. And it is a city of our present today. That city exists today. Some will speculate as to what city this angel is discussing. It is a city that is pagan, but it has a form of religion. Many gods will be acknowledged and worshipped. This city, when it falls, will be known worldwide. It is a city of renown and will be a center of banking, cultural, religions, and society as a whole. This description, unfortunately, fits a lot of modern cities. It's not meant for us to know the exact city right now. When it happens, there will be no question to all that is present that this is and was the modern Babylon. I can tell you that there are speculations right now that that's New York City, that's Miami, that's Washington, D.C., that's... um, Tehran, Iran. It's it's all of these. It's all of these cities, and each and every one of them could fit that that description. But when it happens, we're going to know exactly that this is where we're at in the in the Revelation time period. It's not meant for us to know right now. Now. Why would God keep something like that hid from us? How, why does he keep that knowledge away from us? Because he doesn't want us to try to replicate it, duplicate it, or counterfeit it. There would be a lot of individuals out there in this world right now if they knew what city it was then they would start pointing fingers at every time somebody got killed, every time there was a car wreck, every time there was a fire, every time there was whatever, they would say, oh, my gosh, this is it. Let's go to the desert. Or be like um, a lot of the soothsayers and false prophets and, and false teachers. They would tell their flock or their followers, oh, we've got to kill ourselves. And and so they, they would do that. Heaven's gate, they... I think they swallowed pills and put bags over their heads and suffocated themselves so that they could go into the UFO that's in the hell, in Haley's Comet's tail. Give me a break. Or no, Hellbops Comet. I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, Comet Haley. It was Hellbops Comet. And and there was a UFO in that tail, and they had to kill themselves to get to the UFO. Give me a break. How stupid are we? I mean, when people start talking like that, you should really stop and say, wait a minute. What's wrong with this picture? At no time in the Bible does God say we have to kill ourselves to get to him. We've got to start reading and studying the word and understanding it for ourselves so that when the false prophets and the false teachers shows up, we'll know that they're telling us a lie. Verses 9, 10, and 11 we're going to briefly talk about together. We've had the first angel carrying the everlasting gospel. We've had the second angel declaring that Babylon has fallen. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. In the very last chapter, when we left off right before Thanksgiving, the very last scripture, verse 18 of chapter 13, says, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six, or six, six, six. So in verse 14, he's telling us if we accept that number, if we accept the mark of the beast, and you can go back and listen to last week's, uh, or two weeks ago's podcast video, to understand what the mark of the beast is, it's not everybody's going to wear 666 on their hand. It is just a representation of the Antichrist. But we will have a mark that allows us to buy and sell. We'll have to have that mark for, uh, for the merchants to allow us to buy or sell. But if we have that mark, he's telling us in verse 9 and 10 and 11, that if we have that mark, well, we're going to have the drink of the wine of the wrath of God. We're going to have his indignation. We're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone. The smoke of our torment is going to ascend up forever and ever. That's not a place I want to be. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be there. The third angel appears and tells those that have accepted the mark of the beast that God's judgment is coming to them. This angel tells those that have accepted the mark of the beast that they will go to the lake of fire where there will be they will be in torment constantly, forever. If that doesn't give you a clear indication that there is a, a afterlife and there is a hell, Read nine, ten, and eleven. Tell me something different, because that tells me that that individual and individuals that have worshipped the, the false god, the Antichrist, has followed the false prophet. They're going to they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And we talk about that in a little bit later on in, in Revelation. Verse 12, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. But this angel is not just judgment of the ones that have accepted the mark of the beast. This angel proclaims that those that have patiently waited and not accepted the mark of the beast, that because they've trusted in God, that God has not forsaken them, they will reside in heaven forever. So he tells the ones that have accepted the mark has bought and sold and has has worshiped the, the false prophet, that they're going to go to hell. But for those that has, that has resisted all through the tribulation, the 144,000 plus, that they are going to get to go to heaven. Verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. John is commanded to write that those that have not taken the mark of the beast will finally have rest by going to heaven and living with God forever. We will get rest. We will have no sickness. We will have no pain. We will have no troubles. We will have no worries. We will have no cares. We will not be cold, we will not be hot, we will be perfect. Now, some people will ask you, well, what are we going to look like? I don't know, and I really don't care. I know that may sound a little ugly to say it that way, but whatever I look like, I'm going to be perfect. There will be no spots, there will be no blemishes on the glorified body to come. Verse 14, and I look and behold a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Christ appears on the cloud with a sickle in his hand. In case you're unaware of what a sickle is, it is a small curved knife, yielded or used one-handed to cut grain, corn or other stalk harvest at the gathering of, or harvest time, we've all seen them. We all know what a sickle is, we've seen them, you just might not have understood that that's what they were called, but it's a small, curved blade. If you want a representation, look at the, I hate to say it, but look at the flag of Russia. It is a hammer and a sickle. That's what a sickle is, you see it on the the flag of Russia. He's going to harvest, he's going to reap what is his. <clears throat> because he has, he has the sickle in his hand at this time. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice in verse 15. To him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. An angel appears from the temple and instructs Christ that it is harvest time. But how can an angel tell Christ what to do? This angel is one of the ones around the throne of God, and in this instance, God is utilizing or using this angel to deliver a message to Christ. He is not telling Jesus what to do. He is conveying a message from the Father to the Son. Just as if you've ever, if you're in a large family, often your parents will send one of your siblings to you to say, hey, dad or mom needs you to do so-and-so. Well, God's saying, but wait, wait, wait. Jesus knows what God's thinking. So why does this angel have to tell him? He doesn't have to tell him. But in the vision that that Christ or that John is seeing of all of this, Christ had to be told or John wouldn't have understood what was happening. We have, to, we have to understand this is still the vision of John, and he's a, a spectator. If you didn't know what was happening, if you're watching uh, football with the volume down, Well, you're not going to understand what the flags and the penalties are. If you're watching basketball, the same thing. You're not going to understand when the foul's called because you can't hear it. You can only visualize it. So this angel is representing the, the communication between God and his son and it's harvest time. 16, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle of the earth and the earth was reaped. Christ uses his tool, the sickle. To harvest those Christians that are on the earth. God has told him that he needs to harvest those ready to go to heaven. This is a worldwide event. And it's one of the verses that those that believe in a post-tribulation rapture uses to justify their beliefs. Christ in Christ only has won the right to harvest the Christians from the earth. Unlike the sinners that will be harvested soon. But this is not The rapture, this is at the very end. Now, understand that. It is not the rapture. The rapture has already taken place, in my personal opinion. I do hope that those that use this verse that says the rapture is at the end of tribulation, I hope that they are reading this verse incorrectly because I sure don't want to be here during the rapture or during the tribulation period and wait for the 7 years to get carried out of here this is the 144,000 this is those that are on this earth that has become a Christian during the the tribulation the church yes is gone but the holy spirit is still here the church doesn't have to be here for people to come to know christ it is the urging of the spirit that draws you to him you don't have to hear what i'm saying i'm a preacher i'm a teacher but you don't have to go to church a church building to become a christian but you cannot become a christian if the holy spirit doesn't draw you or urge you to come to him it is that urging and it is that drawing that has gotten us to Christ. It's not the church building. So the church can leave. The church people can leave. And if, as long as the spirit of God is still operating and on this earth, they'll still be able to be Christians on this earth. People will still be able to come to him even in this dark, terrible times called the tribulation. And another angel, verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. An angel with a sharp sickle comes out of the heaven, or out of the temple, his mission is slightly different. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Another angel comes from the altar and out of the temple. He tells the angel with the sickle to begin the harvest. Here the verbiage tells of the angel harvest, harvesting grapes, which is in fact people. Now you have to understand that he's talking about people here, and you have to understand that his, his uh, harvesting was different when you read verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. A little different version of harvesting than what we saw with the first sharp sickle. They He reached in and he took the Christians that were all on the earth off of the earth. This one. Is taking people off the earth, but he's throwing them in the wine press. You have a question? Oh, sorry. He's throwing them in the wine press—the great wine press of the wrath of God. A little different outcome. So this tells me that this angel is not picking up Christians. This angel is getting rid of the sinners, getting rid of the non-Christians, getting rid of those that have followed the mark of the beast and has followed the false prophet. He, the angel, thrust in his sickle and cast the people into the winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress of the wrath of God is the severe judgment that falls on the earth. And it's possibly a massive war, if you will. In Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3, we see, Who is this that cometh from Edom, with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine-fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment." <laughs> For they are the spirit of devils working miracles, which goes forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God almighty. We see that the wine press of God, he's gathering up these and he's throwing them into a war. And this is the final war. This is the war that will end, truly, all wars. But it doesn't go well for those that are fighting against God. Daniel 11, 40 through 45. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. At the start of this war, there are things going good for him doesn't end well for them, though. ends very badly. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And the blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles, by the space of 1,600 furlongs. The city, Jerusalem. With major fighting going on, the scriptures tells us the blood will be up to a horse's bridle, or bridle, and that's around his head. Will the blood be as deep as the distance from a horse bridle, or will the battle be so violent that the blood splatter will be as high as a horse's bridle? 1,600 furlongs is equal to about 180 miles. That's where the heavy fighting will take place in you know, and around the city of Jerusalem, 180-mile diameter around Jerusalem. takes in some major cities if you want to get your map out and draw a, a circle that represents 180 miles. So it's the blood's not probably going to be flowing up to the horse's bridle. It's going to be splattered up that high. And the more violent the blow, the high, higher the blood splatter. <laughs> so it's going to be a violent war. It's going to be hand-to-hand combat. It's going to be air Combat, it's going to be tank combat, there's going to be subs, there's going to be ships, there's going to be all kinds. And yes, there will be ships 180 miles away from Jerusalem, the Mediterranean. So there'll be all kinds of, there'll be all forces will enter into this war. And it's going to be a very violent war until the very end. Chapter 15, and this will not take long, I promise, and actually we're getting through quicker than I thought we were. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, wait a minute. Hold the horses just a little bit. We just got through, we're, we're in the middle of a war, and we've had the, you know, the, the trumpets, we've had the, the thunders, we've had the lightnings, we've had all of this stuff, now we've had the sickle, we've had, all, but now there's seven more plagues? yes. When God does it, he does it right, and he makes an end. The scene in heaven is now with the last judgment's God. This is it. These seven judgments finishes up the wrath of God. Once these are finished, Christ will set up his thousand-year reign. Once we get here in reality, in this, in Revelation, we are here in a vision. But once we get here in reality, we're at the end. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. On this crystal sea, the victors, those that have come through the tribulation, stand and they play the harps. And you won't have to know how to play a harp. You'll have that knowledge when you get there. I just hope none of us are still here because this is the ones that have survived tribulation. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Their song is the song of Moses. Great and marvelous are God's works and ways. He is righteous. He is just in his wrath. And you look at this and you go, how can this be justified? Because he has given us enough opportunities time after time after time again, and we have ignored him, and we have turned our backs on him, and we have decided that we can go our way and not his way. God is just in his actions. He's given us the opportunities to come to him multiple times And now, it's over. It's, as I like to say around work, it's toast. We don't have to get this point. We can turn from our wicked ways. Now, revelation is going to happen. Yes. And God knows when revelation is going to happen. And only God knows when revelation is going to happen. And we can't change God's mind. But we can... Delay him, and I'm not saying delay him for you know for bad thing. I'm telling you we can delay him by turning from our wicked ways and repenting. If you read any of the minor prophets, you see in the book of Jonah that he walked through the city of Nineveh for three days. When he got about a third of the way through. He started preaching repentance, and they came to a repentance, and, and they they accepted Christ, and God did not destroy the city of Nineveh. About 150 years later, we see Nahum going in, and he's doing the same thing. Unfortunately, they will not repent, and they get destroyed. So we can delay God's wrath. We can delay God's vengeance, but we cannot stop it. We cannot change it we cannot alter it but we can delay it who shall not fear thee O lord and glorify thy name for thou only art holy for all nations will come and worship before thee for thy judgments are made manifest every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is lord who cannot fear god because he is holy And all the nations will come and worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The atheist will bow the knee. The agnostics will bow the knee. The communist will bow the knee. Everybody will. Some will do it because they want to, and others will be made to do it, but they will do it. And every tongue will confess. Every tongue will say, yes, he is Lord. Those that have said there is no God... They will say there is a God. They won't want to. They will be made to. So I encourage you to worship the Lord now. I encourage you to pray to God now. I encourage you to get on your knees and on your face before God now and not wait until this time. And after that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The temple of heaven is open. The angels will soon come forth with the last of the wrath of God. The seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen and having the breast girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. It is one of the four beasts that surrounds the throne that hands the angels the the plagues or the last plagues of God the last vials. The angels are dressed in linen they've got gold breastplate on and they are ready to go. Now why would they have a gold breastplate on? The breastplate was for war. It was for protection. It's their armor. Now the angels don't need the armor because they don't you know they don't they're not going to get hurt. But it represents the fact that they are going to war. And they're going to war against the men and the women, the children, the people of the earth that is here still during the tribulation. So they're going to go and these vials are going to be poured out in, in verse uh, chapter 16 and 17. 16, 17 and 18 gets really interesting. If you've never read Revelation 16, 17, 18, some of 19 even, it gets really, really interesting. And it gets also very complicated to follow. And we're going to do our best next week to start on verse, uh, or on chapter 16, or chapter, uh, 15, yeah, excuse me, chapter 16, 17, and 18. We're we we're going to try our best to, to get through that. And we're going to take our time doing it. But hopefully it will come to, a little bit clearer as to what's going on, but the next few chapters is all about the war. It's all about the last vials, the plagues, the last wrath of God. And it's also about his redemption. It is also about our saving grace. It's not all gloom and doom. It is about the setting up of the temple. the setting up of Christ. The last verse, chapter 15. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. As the last angel leaves the temple, smoke from God's glory fills the temple. And as long as the wrath happens, there will be smoke and no one can enter into that temple. This chapter is an ominous picture of what will take place in chapter 16. Chapter 16 is all about the seventh wrath or seven plagues of, of Christ or of God. 17 and 18 is the setting up. But it is all, it's, it's getting good now, guys. It's getting real good. It's getting to why we even want to study Revelation. All of uh, the first, first 15 ver- chapters is just a prelude, an introduction to what's about to take place in chapter 16. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come to your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, that you'll lift up those that are listening and those that will listen. And, Lord, we ask that you'll uh, uh, open their ears to hear and their hearts to receive, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.